All right, let's give it up for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I've never actually said Willy Wonka like that before, but I did when I walked in front of 100 people, so that's always great. <laughs> How you doing? You guys enjoying summertime so far? You enjoying being a part of summer blockbusters? Yes. Who's got popcorn today in church? Come on, just own it. That's awesome. I mean, more people should do it. I tell people, hey, come to church and eat popcorn during the service. Well, you guys, I was camping this week. And uh, I know a lot of you know how much I really love that. And, uh, but I did survive. I made it. And, you know, Jesus was in the tomb for three days before he experienced resurrection life. Likewise, I was in the <laughs> wilderness <laughs> for three days before experiencing the resurrection life of coming home, washing the smoke. You know, like your hair smells like smoke for days after, right? But it's fun because you get to spend time around the campfire. But then I picked up some kind of 1920s disease in my lungs. <laughs> Uh, from being outside. So uh, pardon me if I, if I cough and all that. But uh, yeah, well, I, I did come back from camping and I posted a little biopic on Instagram about my adventures and experiences to show all of you people that doubt my nature abilities and skills that I am basically Les Stroud and Bear Grylls combined into one human being. I'm so in love with nature and such a good camper and, and outdoorsman that literally I've neutralized those abilities, putting those two together. So just kidding. What does it have to do with the message today? Nothing. Uh, but we're going to have a good day. It's going to be good. I believe that God is going to encourage you today, that you're going to leave today and, uh, and, and f connect more with God, connect more with your purpose in life. And I'm excited for what God's going to speak to us today. And I love that movie. How many of you remember that movie growing up and watching Willy Wonka? I mean, it's a little bit before my, my time. So some of you, you actually grew up you know, with Willy Wonka. People like John, you know, just were <laughs> just messing with you. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if you went to the premiere of it, you definitely know that you're, uh, uh, yeah. Anyways, we're going to leave that right there. Um, just having fun with my friend here. But I love that movie because it, it connects so much with this idea of imagination and this, this world that you're going into of like, how could it be? And I love that scene when they go into the chocolate factory and all these amazing candies. And how many of you were like, oh man, if I could go there, that would be amazing. Except for you keto people making up that fake diet. And you're like, no, all we ever eat is butter and steak. But the rest of us would go into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and just be like, I'm like a Gustus, right? <laughs> Mr. Wonka's going to be sorry, you know, get in there and just go crazy in there. Uh, and I love that. But uh, what I wanted to talk about today is the fact that as great as the movie is and the, the, the incredible experience they get to have, that God has such an incredible life, an incredible golden ticket destiny in store for every one of us that goes completely beyond what we could ask, what we could think, what we could imagine. It, Paul, the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 says, the scriptures, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen no ear is heard, no mind is imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And I think it's fascinating because I talk to a lot of people and specifically in our community, which is really unchurched. And a lot of people are just irreligious, right? They're just not interested in church or not interested in God. And it's because they have a perspective, a thought process about what it means to be a Christian or what a life with God actually looks like. And so they say, well, um, you know, that's not really for me because I, I don't need that. And, and the reality is that the kind of God that most people reject, the kind of Christianity that most people reject, I would reject as well. And so would you. Because the, the way they see it is that God basically wants to put you in a box and take away everything fun that you do. Come on, right? Because most people see Christianity as basically moralism, meaning if you do the right stuff, God won't be angry at you and he won't smite you or smote you in past time. Like <clears throat> they see it in this way that, 
that if you, if you keep all the rules and you, you play nice and you don't hang out with the girls that break the rules or the boys that break the rules and you don't get a tattoo, heaven forbid, that then if you, if you do everything right and, and heaven forbid you don't cuss. I mean, man, I said the D word one time and my daughter is all over me. She's a six-year-old Pharisee. It's true, isn't it, Bethany? She's like, dad, pastors don't say that word. I'm like, I know, honey, but I, I'm still a human being. You know, she's like, she's got me right there. Um, but people see Christianity as moralism and they see it as this thing where God wants to take away everything that satisfies you, fulfills you, that you find to be fun. And the, and the, the truth could not be farther from that. The, the reality is that God has such an incredible destiny that life with God and experience of Jesus and his grace and his love is really satisfying and amazing. And actually God wants to, to, to give you even a life that satisfies the good desires that he's placed inside of you. And his destiny that he has for each and every one of us is so amazing. And that's what we're here to talk about today and declare and say, look, it's not this, this version of God, of religion, of faith, that's God taking away all your toys, God taking you. It's, it's, it's more like coming into the chocolate factory. I'm not saying that everything about faith is easy or just eating candy. It's not. But it's not this thing of God wanting to control you and hurt you because he doesn't really like you and, and you have to play by the rules. That whole idea, it's not what it is. But what happens is, just like in the movie Slugworth, who's like the creepiest looking guy ever. Could, could that guy actually play a good guy in a movie? I don't think so, you know? He comes out, he's like, I'm James Bond. No, no, you're a weirdo. You're, you're going to play that creep in Willy Wonka. He's like, okay, I'll do my job. He's very much typecast. But Slugworth is the whisperer. He, and you see in the scenes that we selected there that he comes to the kids, right as, they're, right as they're hearing this plan for their life, this destiny, this experience that they get to have, here comes Slugworth with a scar on his face. If you have a scarred face, you know you're a bad guy, right? You might not be, but it makes you look bad. And so Slugworth comes and he, he whispers in their ear. He, he tries to get them to give up that which is their inheritance, that which Willy Wonka, who's a weirdo too, but anyways, wants to give them. Uh, I was like, Willy Wonka is God in this analogy. He's not. He's just a weird guy with a weird hat. But anyways, Willy Wonka uh, wants to give them something amazing. And yet the, the whisperer comes, Slugworth comes. And in that same way, the enemy comes and he whispers in our ear and he tries to get us to trade what God wants for us, what God has for us, what God has in store for us. He wants us to trade it for something temporary, for something fleeting, for something that, that is pleasurable in the moment, right? But it's going to cost us that which God has for us. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to go into the scriptures here in just a minute, and I'll talk about the, the, the whisperer, the, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. But I was thinking about this and realizing that, that uh, I've experienced this whispering thing in my life, not because I, it happened to me, but because I was the whisperer, because I'm the oldest child. How many firstborn kids are in here? You're the worst. <laughs> and I know this because I'm one of you, Right. I mean, my wife and I, we've been talking about this. She's, she's the middle child and she has all of the requisite behaviors and <laughs> feelings and everything in the middle child. I'm the firstborn, which means I have OCD and I'm a perfectionist. Come on, firstborns, and I want to be in control, right? I'd let Jesus take the wheel, but I've got my hands glued to it because I want to be in control. I'm the firstborn. And firstborn kids, we spend most of our life growing up trying to trick and manipulate our younger siblings. Did you know this, younger siblings? just revealing this right now in this moment. That, that's basically what we do. So I remember I would present to my sister, my sister, Natalie, she always had a lot of money in her bank account. We're like 10, she's eight, I'm 10, she's eight or seven years old. And she has like a hundred dollars in her bank account, which when you're eight is like a million dollars now in today's money. Come on, right? 
And so my sister has like $100 in her bank account because people trusted her to watch their kids and not me. So anyways, I don't know what the deal is there. They, she had all these odd jobs. She's always making money and she was a saver and I'm a spender, right? My, lucky for me, my, in my marriage, my wife is a saver and I'm the other thing. And so we balance each other out. But she saves money, I spend it. And so my sister, Natalie, I would always present business opportunities to her. <laughs> Any younger siblings starting to get a little triggered right now? I hate them. They're the worst. So I, would, I grew up in the golden age of console gaming, right? So I remember being a little kid playing Nintendo, Atari, right? My dad, he could rack lives on level three in Mario. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know that? You dance the turtle, bing, 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 right? Some of you people are like, why are we here today? What is happening? You needed to learn that. You can do it on level 3.1 in Mario, original Mario on Nintendo. You can get infinite lives. Yeah. So anyways, my dad would do that. He'd get me infinite lives. I'd play Mario. Then, then we had Sega Genesis. Anybody know Sega Genesis? And then like I had gone down the Sega pathway. So some people were like the PlayStation people, but I was Sega and Nintendo. So we had Super Nintendo, N64, Sega Genesis, Sega Dreamcast. Then there was Nintendo GameCube, Nintendo Wii. This is why I don't have a college education. You know, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. But the golden age of console gaming. And so I always wanted to get the next thing, right? And that, then Xbox came out and that was like, <laughs> Halo was amazing. I, I was always trying to get, you know, get the next console. The problem was, again, I didn't have any money because I'm a spender, but my sister, Natalie, she had, she's a saver, so she always had lots of cash on hand. So I would present these business opportunities to her, and I'd say, Natalie, listen, there's a new console coming out, and uh, it's really cool. She's like, I don't play games, Jake. You know, I, I don't need that. I'm like, well, no, listen. She was really into soccer at the time. I'm like, there's a new soccer game coming out. It's super realistic. You could play as any country in the world, Brazil, Mexico, USA. Nobody would play with them because they're horrible. But, you know, <laughs> any team. And I'd talk it up, talk it up. Finally, she'd be I mean, like, we'll play every day together. Oh, yeah, wake up in the morning. I'll rub your feet. I'll make you some Captain Crunch cereal with some extra sugar on top. We'll go downstairs, play, you know, a little bit of uh, FIFA and all this kind of thing. So I'd get her all like, oh, yeah, like thinking she wanted to play FIFA on this console. And then she would invest with me. And then I'd be like, get out of here. I'm playing my games, right? <laughs> because I was tricking her out of what was rightfully hers and I'm the, the whisperer, but sometimes the younger ones figure it out, right? So being the horrible older child firstborn, right? Sometimes we actually get it played over on us. My wife told me a story. She's, she's the, not the kind of second born or middle child that you want to have in your family for her older sister because Bethany's too smart. And so Bethany, uh, their aunt would give her and her sister Barbie dolls every single year. And that was the present they would give. And Bethany didn't care for Barbie dolls. So her sister, Sarah, would, you know, buy the dolls from her or Bethany would trade her something. And so over a period of a few years, Sarah has amassed this large collection of Barbie dolls. And then they have a yard sale and Sarah's growing out of Barbie dolls. So she decides to sell all of her Barbie dolls. And Bethany tells her mom, well, mom, you know, half of those are mine. (laughs) And so she got half the money of the Barbie dolls that had already been sold to her sister. Anyways, she struck a blow for freedom for all the middle children. So all the middle kids can give Bethany a hand right now and say, yeah, good job. But the whisperer, the the enemy, the, the, the person that's trying to trick you out of your destiny, what's rightfully yours, we see this take place right in the beginning of history. It's a famous account, a famous story that takes place in Genesis chapter three. And we're gonna read it in Genesis 3, 3. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, now this is Satan in the guise of a serpent. 
maybe possessing a serpent. We don't totally know, but it's him speaking to Eve. And he says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? See, the whisper a lot of times starts with a question. The, the offer to steal your destiny starts with a question. He says, and she re- replies, of course, we may eat from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And then in verse four, the serpent says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And it says here in verse seven, at that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And this is what we call the fall. This is the point in human history in which Adam and Eve willingly decided Eve was deceived, but it says Adam was standing right there next to her. He wasn't deceived. He knew exactly what was going on. They ate the fruit. They, they, they decided in that moment to not trust God and not trust that God had their best at heart and that there was a reason they weren't supposed to touch and eat this one fruit. They allowed doubt. They allowed a lie to come in and take root in their minds. And this is what we call the fall. But what's interesting here is in this whispering, you see a pattern of what takes place and how the enemy comes and tries to steal your your lunch, right? Tries to steal your destiny that God has for you. And it starts with the question, he says right here, did God really say? And he goes on, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees. And, And Eve realizes that's not true. She says, no, that's not what God said. But see, right in the beginning, what the enemy will do to you when he whispers is he will try to create doubt and try to create a doorway in which a lie can slip through. Come on, he'll, kill, he'll come and say, listen, did God really say that you were supposed to, to live a pure life and, and not have sex before you get married? I mean, that's crazy. That's like puritanical. That's like Victorian England. Did God really say that? And what's that really gonna do for you? And all of a sudden you start, well, did God really say? What did God say? What, what did he say? Well, he's, no, it's not that. It's not the right thing. But you start thinking this way. You start doubting. You start going a different direction in your head. And it's a bait and switch. It's like any magic trick. They get you looking over here, but the trick's happening over here. Come on. Well, hey, look, we're doing this thing right here. Ooh, I'm moving cards and all this kind of stuff. And the real trick's happening somewhere else. And the enemy gets you to doubt. And what doubt does is doubt opens a door for a lie to slide in, to slip in. So she's kind of dialoguing. Here's the problem. You can't, you can't dialogue with the enemy. You don't dialogue with the whisperer. You don't allow him to get in your head. You don't listen to the offer. Because it's always going to end up with you playing FIFA. Come on. You buy the console and you don't even want it. It's always going to end up with you in death. It's always going to end up with you taking the short end of the stick because he's going to steal your destiny. Don't listen to the offer. Don't listen to the liar. He's going to lie to you. You just don't know when it's going to happen. And everybody thinks, don't we, that we can like, well, I'm different. No, I won't be tricked. No, you're a human being. You will be tricked. I get tricked. We all get tricked. We all get deceived. We all get pulled in. We talked about this last week, enticed by our own desires, dragged away. But doubt opens the door to a lie. And then in verse four, he gives her the outright lie. Doubt has created the the, the place where it can enter in. And he says in verse four, you won't die. And that's wrong. It's not true at all. It's a complete lie. It's not even mixed with truth. 
And that lie comes in and it says that she was convinced. You see, doubt opened the door, but then the lie came in and that took hold and she began to believe the whisperer, the destiny stealer, the serpent, beyond the God that created her, that loved her, that had, his, that had her best at heart and her husband's best at heart. She believes them. Adam, is just, they're, they're, they do this thing. They, they give in to this temptation. They, they distrust God. I want to say this. One of the biggest questions that you have to answer in your life, and every one of us has to answer this question. You can't say, well, no, I'll just take a pass. I'm neutral. I'm Switzerland. You can't be Switzerland. You got to be in the, in the battle. One of the biggest questions that we face in life is this. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? What, what truth, what thought, what person, what what God, what idea are you going to say? This is my foundation. This is what I trust. This is what I place my, my faith in. Who are you going to trust? You see, faith has a lot of different definitions, but I want to say this today. Faith is an unshakable confidence that God always has your best interest at heart. You see, a lot of people don't think that God has their best interest at heart. And it's them going all the way back to Genesis 3, thousands of years ago to this moment where the devil created doubt and it allowed a lie to sink in. And they began to think, God doesn't actually have my best at heart. And that's still the lie that's at the root of most of our busted, broken uh, behavior that we give into, isn't it? Because we think, no, you know what? I need to pursue a relationship. God doesn't have my best interest at heart. I need to medicate my pain with alcohol, drugs, prescription or otherwise or whatever, because God doesn't really have my best interest at heart. I need to satisfy myself because God isn't going to do it. God isn't enough and he doesn't have a good plan for me. He doesn't have my best interest at heart. He wants to keep me, uh, you know, just be this kind of religious goody two-shoes person. God wants to put me in a box. That's a lie. And it started way back thousands of years ago. Faith is this unshakable confidence that God has your best interest at heart. When I talk to my children, sometimes I'm like, no. How many of you ever actually heard that word from your parents? <laughs> Some people today are like, you can't tell your children no. You're going you're to wound their inner spirit. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> if wounding the inner spirit would get them to go to bed. I'm just playing. I'm playing. We're going to cut that from the tape. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> I say no to them. I say, no, Jack, you can't pull Penny's hair out. No, Penny, you can't paint our house purple. No, Evie, you can't have 17 more boxes of Captain Crunch today. Why? Not because I want to control, not because I, 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 want, I don't have their interests at heart. It's because I do. <clears throat> if God tells you no, it's not because he doesn't love you or want you to be satisfied. It's because he knows you're dancing with the devil. You are believing a lie. And you think, oh, I can drive down this road and it's going to be fine. And God says, no, the bridge is out. Listen, no, I'm saying no, don't, don't go there. Do not go to this place. Don't, don't cross this line. Not because he doesn't have your best interests at heart. It's because he does. He's a, he's a good father. Who are you going to trust? Genesis chapter 15, verse six, it says, and Abram believed the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Did you know that faith and morality are connected. Because if you believe and trust that God has your best interest at heart and you pursue his word and his reality, what he wants for your life, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna lead you into righteousness. God counted it as righteousness that Abraham believed the Lord. What's implied here that he could, he could not believe the Lord and he would be unrighteous. See, unrighteousness always starts with distrusting the Lord, saying, no, God doesn't have my best interest at heart. 
So let me just say this to you today. Who you decide to believe defines your destiny. Who you decide to put your faith and confidence in defines your destiny, the path upon which you are going to go. We read this verse last week, but I want to go back into it. John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus gives us a contrast and a comparison between the the devil's plan for your life and, and for God's plan for your life. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Satan has a three-point plan for your life and not one of them are good. What's behind door number two? Well, that would be a kill. (laughs) Sounds good. No, it does not. To steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, in contrast, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And so we have to look at what does God have for us. The the devil has a lie for you. He wants to steal your destiny. He wants to get you to distrust God and begin to try to pursue your own fulfillment apart from him. What does God have in store for us? God has a life of these, and I'm just going to talk about two things today, but they're really big. They're really big deal and they're really valuable. God has a life for you of relationship and purpose. Relationship and purpose. And if you think about these two things, these are like core, they're pillar to to being fulfilled as a human being because you and I were wired to be relational beings. Now you're like, no, I'm an introvert. I don't like people. Well, okay. But you you were wired to relate to God. You actually were wired to relate to other people and you need purpose in your life. And this is what God wants to offer us is relationship with him, relationship with the father, relationship that can be based on him with other people. How many of you know that healthy human relationships are based on a relationship with God, where it's not about the other person or what they've done wrong or what they do right or validating themselves to you or whatever. It's about, no, I love and I am loved. And that's possible because of my relationship with Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, number one. He made us pure and holy, number two, and he freed us from sin, number three. And this is what the Apostle Paul, in writing this letter in 1 Corinthians, is talking about. When you go all the way up to chapter two, verse nine, he's actually reflecting on what I just read when he says, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul is reflecting back to these words where he says, God has done these three things. Christ has made us right with God, pure and holy and freed us from sin. And I just want to walk through these things really quickly today. Made us right with God. What this means is that we're good. That when God looks at you in Christ, you're good. Everything's okay. Your relationship is restored. You ever have a fight with somebody, your husband or your wife or a friend or something, and you resolve it and then you just say, hey, we're good. Or they're like, are you good? Or are, we, are we good? We're good, right? That's, what, that's what's, being, what's happening here. You're good with God. God's not looking at you, mad at you, angry. He's not an accountant up in heaven writing down all your sins, glowering at you, pushing up his glasses, you know, examining all of your behavior. God is, you're, you're good with him. In Christ, that relationship is restored, which is a beautiful thing. I remember in Bible college, I had a friend that, that was a good friend of mine growing up and we had a falling out, a major falling out, and we were enemies. Like, you know, when you, you cross a line, it's not that you don't, just, you don't just dislike someone. You're like, I want to destroy them. <laughs> I would do that thing where I'm like Dr. Claw in the chair and he would come in the room and I would turn around. <laughs> I was like a villain. I wanted to hurt him. I wanted, that was a better joke than a lot of you 
or giving me credit for. Anyways, I was mad. I, we did not like each other. We were actively undermining each other. We were enemies. And I remember one night we, we got together and we sat down. We talked for a long time, hours and hours. And from that point forward, it was like, we're good. We're back. We're restored. Our relationship is okay. And that person's one of my very best friends in the world today. And what a good feeling that was to take somebody who was an enemy and now count them as a friend and, and get them out of that category. It says in Romans chapter five, verse 11, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We have a relationship. It's been restored. What a beautiful thing. Pure and holy, number two, as we talk about God's plan for your life, your destiny, the golden ticket that he has. Pure and holy, God gives you a clean slate a restored heart and mind. And holy means to be set apart for God's purposes. And so when you come to God, when you come into his plan for your life, he's not counting your sins against you in your past. He's giving you a clean slate saying, look, you get a fresh start. Maybe you were <clears throat> a woman of questionable morals. Maybe you were the guy of questionable morals. You have a past. Well, we all have a past, but God has a future for you. Come on, and when you get to be pure and holy, not only are you washed clean, but you are also set apart because God has a plan for you. And we start stepping into a life of purpose. Did you know that Jesus didn't just die uh, and pay for your sins so that you could be let out of jail? He died and paid for your sins so that you could be brought into the kingdom of righteousness so you could begin to do the good things God has planned for you long ago. That it's not just about God being okay with you, it's that you now get to be a participator in God's kingdom and bringing goodness into the world pure and holy. And he says, freed from sin. He's freed us from sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, we are free to live and to love as citizens of God's kingdom. We're not slaves anymore. Man, when you, if you are dealing with any kind of a lack of freedom in your life, I'd encourage you to read this verse and then just meditate on this. Read the book of Galatians, where the gospel, Paul describes, he says, look, it's just setting people free setting people free from trying to earn their way to God, setting people free from trying to be good enough for God to, to like you or to love you or to accept you. No, you've been set free from sin. The enemy comes and whispers he wants to steal your destiny. What God has for you is these amazing things that you can be right with him, pure and holy, freed from sin. And he leads you into a life of purpose. Out of our relationship with God, we are led into a life of purpose. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Did you know that God has an incredible plan for your life? Listen, you don't believe me right now, but I'm going to keep talking for just a second because I want you to believe me today. You're sitting here and you go, okay, yeah, I'm hearing you, pastor. Like God has a plan for my life, but you don't actually know. Again, Paul says we don't even, we can't even ask or think or imagine how great God's plan is for our life, but you will never, ever exhaust the limits of God's good plan for your life. In other words, if from this moment right now today, if you were to run as hard as you could into the purposes and plans of God, you would never exhaust God's good plan and destiny for you. In the Bible, when, when God gives ancient Israel, this nation, he establishes their borders. And he says, you're gonna occupy this territory. This is the land that I have for you. He gives them such a wide swath of land that they never even get close to achieving that destiny, that, that inheritance that he has for you. See, a lot of us are sitting here thinking that our life could be better because we can see step one, two, three. We can see right ahead of us, well, if God could give me a little bit more money or God could help my marriage be a little bit better or God could help my kids and I get along a little better, whatever God could do. And we see one thing, but God sees this entire future laid out before him. 
And we're never ever gonna even get a full picture of how amazing that is. Like if you were to run as fast and hard into the future of God's plan for you, all you would discover is that there was always more. Any C.S. Lewis fans in here? Anybody read the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia? When they kind of go to this place and, and they all uh, pass on into the next life and C.S. Lewis describes it, <clears> that they see this land, <clears throat> it's beautiful and it's good. But as they continue to go deeper in, it gets bigger and vast, more vast. It gets brighter and the colors are more vivid and the fruit is sweeter. And then they, they go further and there it is again. And it's another iteration, but it's bigger and better and greater than the last. And it's a picture of what eternal life is like, that you will never get to the end of the goodness of God. You see, in the movie, Charlie thinks, wow, I've had this experience and this is amazing and all that. But the plan that was in store for him was beyond what he could ask, think, or imagine. See, he had a golden ticket and they sing the song, I've got a golden ticket. That's what it's like when you give your life to Jesus, you get a golden ticket, but you don't understand what God has in store for you. Come on, you're like, man, I get to go to the chocolate factory. This is awesome. I get to be a part of God's family, but God has more for you. God wants to infuse your life with relationship and purpose. God wants to open our hearts and minds, even just to get a taste of all that, all that he has for us. And that's a very different perspective than most people have of what God is like. That when God says no, he's trying to control. No, when God says no, he's trying to protect. When God says don't go there, it's not because he, he's angry at you. It's because he loves you, because he has something in store for you. And if we'll just change our mind right now and begin to believe in faith, that God has my best interest at heart, it changes everything. It changes everything. And I wanna encourage you with that today.